0: Put all of your clients on a page, and just keep narrowing it down. You know, Narrow it down by the clients you love to work with. Narrow it down by the clients that uh, you got the best results for. Narrow it down further by the clients that are the easiest for you to work with, that pay their invoices on time. And you just keep narrowing down the list until you have this very small, really, list in the end. And then you look at the common thread. You know, what's the common thread through those businesses? <laughs>
1: Welcome to Episode 4 of Season 7 of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built the business designed around the life that they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice, and if it's not, Let me know and I'll get it there. If you've heard the show before, leave us a review on iTunes or drop us a comment in Breaker or Castbox. Today's co host is Jessica Merring. A quote from her that I really love is this Successful marketing and sales enablement don't happen on a wish and a prayer. To achieve faster customer growth, shorten the sales cycle and most importantly, build long-term customer relationships. You've got to reach the right people with the right content, putting conversation before the conversion. I love this quote because it resonates so much with how I've built my successful business. And if it resonates with you, you are going to love this episode. Jessica is a marketing communications expert and the CEO of Horizon Peak Consulting, where she helps IT and software companies increase enterprise sales with targeted conversion content. In this episode, we dive into the difference between an ideal client and a niche. We also talk about the emotions, the fears of this iterative process, and how important personal conversations and pattern recognition is in this whole process. This is a great one. Here's Jessica and I talking about the ideal client. Hey Feasters, welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to have Jessica here with us. Welcome, Jessica.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this topic today.
1: Yes, and me too. And I think it's going to, just from looking around what you talk about all the time, I know where this is going to go. And so I'm super <laughs> excited for this. But before we get into it a little bit, can you share with us who your ideal client is?
0: Yeah, my ideal client. And of course, this has changed many times over the years. But right now, uh, my ideal client tends to be a director of marketing At a large and enterprise company. Of course, like with all things, there are exceptions to that rule. Sometimes my point of contact is a marketing manager. Sometimes the company I'm working with is smaller. But uh, yeah, my ideal client right now, the one that I'm just getting the best results for and working the best with is the director of marketing. Not even necessarily Fortune 500 company, but large and enterprise company.
1: So for a lot of the audience here, I think they focus in on small to medium-sized businesses, mm-hmm. not necessarily enterprise. What attracted you to the enterprise level of clients?
0: So it, let's actually talk a little bit about customer versus niche here, if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> sure. Because interestingly, I, I do work with smaller companies as well. And my niche is actually companies that sell IT and software solutions to enterprise companies. Oh, okay. And that means that sometimes they are these large companies, and sometimes they're the smaller companies that sell a solution to the big guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a difference in between niche and ideal customer. And, you know, you can, you can have different ideal customers within your niche as well. And um, I'm already, my brain's already going a million miles a minute. like where I want to go with this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so I totally agree with you. Um, For me, I've flocked towards the e-commerce realm. Like Mm -hmm. I've, I've been running my business now for close to a decade. I've been doing it part-time for 17 ish years. So I've been doing this a long time, but I loved e-commerce that whole time. And so Mm -hmm. e-commerce is a big topic, right? It's a big broad niche, if you will, but it's mm-hmm. big. And so I've sort of settled in on a specific type of client that I work with well, that I know that I could succeed with and help them grow and, and so on and so forth. So I'd love to be able to hear your thoughts around that specifically, meaning how did you come across your ideal client that actually sells to you? You're like a b to, b to b
0: essentially, yeah. <laughs> right?
1: So how, how did you, how'd you come across that? How did you figure that out?
0: Yeah. And like I said, this has changed many times over the years. And I think that your ideal customer should change as you grow, as your value changes and, and grows. Uh, this was really full circle for me. I started out in corporate right out of college. I was working for Compact Computer Corporation. Nice. <laughs> that tells you how long I've been doing this. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I started out in the corporate world doing content management and working alongside the developers and you know, writing product copy and online merchandising content, banner ads, all of that stuff. And I was really immersed in marketing, but in a corporate kind of environment. I was very comfortable with that because that's where I cut my teeth and when I struck out on my own I did what I think a lot of people do at, at least in the uh, the copywriter space I've seen this a lot where they're like I want to help the little guys I don't want to work in corporate anymore I want to help the small businesses because that's where all the interesting things are happening and you know they're so dynamic and they move faster so I did that and I, you know, I, I I tried to focus on the small businesses and after a couple of years, what I realized is I just was not making the same impact mm-hmm. all businesses that I was with corporate. And I still kind of had my, my uh, toes in the water of corporate, uh, of, um, you know, large and enterprise technology specifically. And I just, I saw that while they were two very different environments, small business and margin and enterprise business, two very different environments, they had a lot of the same need. And they had vastly different resources and vastly different ways of approaching working with a marketing professional of any kind. And it was just so much harder, really, for me to make the big impact with the small businesses. So I, I kind of started thinking, mm, maybe, I, maybe I should kind of start focusing again on on working with the bigger companies and kind of see what that looks like, um, and so I started taking on more of the more of the large companies, and again getting back into that corporate environment in a lot of ways that had changed since I left corporate as a job, and uh, just seeing kind of what the new environment was and the new the new organizational structures were and the new marketing practices were in that larger enterprise space, and it was it was so interesting to me. And it was so much more dynamic than I remember it being. And again, they had so many more resources that they could put towards marketing and towards content. Specifically, I I focus on the content side of the house. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people were just, they were so into what they were doing and so excited to be working with somebody like me. It really, it got me excited about working with large companies all over again. And then I started picking up clients who were smaller, but were selling their services, their IT services or IT products and uh, software to these large and enterprise companies. And again, it was just so exciting. There's there's this, just this kind of, I don't know, I guess passion is maybe, <laughs> maybe the right word that I don't remember experiencing when I was on the inside.
2: Mm.
0: And um, it was really fun to be a part of that. And of course, selling selling services marketing to large and enterprise customers is such a different proposition.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yes.
0: And because of my background, I was really good at it. <laughs> I could understand the target, the target customer better than most copywriters, content writers could. Mm-hmm. And so again, I was making a bigger impact. And they, they just, they gave me the space to make a bigger impact too, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back to the, the point at which you realized that you weren't making as big an impact as you thought you could in the small space and then realized, Hey, maybe, maybe I should go back. What was that feeling like? What was that sort of thought process?
0: It was very frustrating. I mean, I, I had such high hopes, <laughs> you know? I think we all do. We just we're shiny and new in our in our own businesses, and we just want to help. It was very frustrating because I never wanted to feel like I never wanted these small businesses to feel like uh, they couldn't afford me or um, that they just weren't. So anyway, I didn't want them to feel bad that they didn't have the budget, mm-hmm. you know. But the fact is, there's only so much I can do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: With a limited budget, I only have so much time. I only have so many so many resources myself, so it was very, very frustrating because I could not price things low enough to do enough for these folks. So the little I was able to do just it didn't move the needle for them as much as I wanted it to. Yeah, sure, I can write higher converting content for them. I can write some blog posts, I can write a white paper, ebook infographic, whatever. And it'll convert much better than their other stuff is. But onesie, twosie kinds of things like that, it's just such a small blip on the grand scheme. It really, Mm -hmm. to make the bigger impact, it needs to be a bigger engagement Gotcha. than a one-off blog post, you know? Right,
1: right. Yeah. So was it a natural transition to say, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the corporate world? Or did you explore other options before doing that?
0: It was a natural transition in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I had a lot of connections by that point. Um, I like to make friends. I don't call it networking. I like to make friends <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> wherever I go. I like to make friends. I stay. I'm really good at staying in touch with people. And, and um, you yeah, know, just because I genuinely like to get to know people. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a lot of folks that I could um, reach out to in, in the corporate space in the large enterprise space. And again, the smaller companies now selling to these large companies. So it was a very easy place for me to kind of start shifting to. And again, I love being in the technology space too, working with um, IT and software solution providers. I'm really, really jazzed about that kind of <laughs> stuff, which I know is crazy, especially for a non-technician. Hmm. I mean, my college degree is in history, you know, I'm like okay. as non-tech as you can get. But because I, I grew up in that space, I can understand a lot of the technology better than most, I think. And I can speak the language. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a really, really fun space to me. So yeah, part of it was a natural transition, but not to say that there weren't uh, there weren't steps I had to take along the way. Mm-hmm. And if you'll indulge me to kind of get a little bit deeper into some absolutely. Of the steps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Cool. That's what I'm, my next question was, if you didn't All go right. there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I had a really good mix of clients. This is about um, two, two and a half years ago. I had a really good mix of clients. You know, I'd say half of them large companies, half of them smaller, um, you know, pretty well-funded really startups though, that we're selling to the bigger companies. Well, actually, no. At that point, it was a lot of smaller businesses that were selling to other smaller businesses. I hadn't even gotten that far two, two and a half years ago. And things just took a nosedive. I mean, that's all I can say is that all of a sudden, things started going south for my business. Um, Clients were... Uh, were drying up, you know, they were coming to the end of their contract and not renewing clients that had come to me pretty regularly for projects over the years had stopped coming around and weren't responding. When I reached out, Mm -hmm. I'm good with the Uh, Mm follow-ups, but they weren't responding. Uh, The new clients I was getting on the phone were pushing back on my price, which I'm not the, I'm not cheap, but I'm not the highest price game in town either. Mm -hmm. And so that was really shocking. And uh, they were also comparing me to folks that they were finding on Upwork. I mean, I was actually having these calls where they were saying, well, this guy that we found on Upwork can do that for, you know, a quarter of what you're saying you can do that for. And I'm like, I don't know what to say to that because yeah. you you get what you pay for. <laughs> um, I, you know, I have massive experience over this guy. I'm, no, I'm literally known in this space for the quality of the content that I produce. If you want to go with the cheaper guy, <laughs> uh, have fun with that. Right, right. But so I was having these really bizarre conversations. I felt like I'd done a really good job of establishing my value up to that point. And all of a sudden, the, the conversations were going like that. And it was so weird. And I was like, okay, something has changed. Something has changed in my market space. I need to look at this. I need to figure this out. I need to solve this problem because my business is not going to survive this. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really scary because, uh, you know, I, I luckily had savings. I think as a business owner, it's a good thing to have savings. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely.
0: And I was living on savings for a couple of months there. And it was really, really terrifying. And again, I'm, I'm just sitting with this. I'm trying to, figure, trying to figure it out. I see that the copywriting space is really getting inundated by a lot of newbies claiming that their, you know, their their specialty is SaaS, software as a service. Uh, and somehow I was getting lumped in with that. And a friend of mine recommended that I look into a coach, a business coach, his name is Matthew Pollard. And I looked at his stuff. I thought, well, you know, this, this guy has some interesting things to say. I'll get on a call with him. So I had a, a consult call. And <laughs> he's a very good salesman. And he's very, very good at what he does. And by the end of that call, I yep, I'd given him my credit card number, <laughs> even though, <laughs> like I said, things were not going good at that point. But it felt like an investment I should make. So I did. And I started going through his program, the Rapid Growth Academy one of the, the very first exercises in that was this, uh, it was a finding your niche exercise. And at the time I was like, I know what my niche is. I don't need this. But I was starting to feel a little desperate, not going to lie. And I thought, okay, I'm, not, I'm just going to do this because what, what do I have to lose? And his version of this exercise was a little different. He really, he kind of had you put all of your clients on a page and just keep narrowing it down. You know, narrow it down by the clients you love to work with. Narrow it down by the clients. You know, narrow that list down by the clients that uh, you got the best results for. Narrow it down further by the clients that are the easiest for you to work with. That pay their invoices on time. Narrow it down again to the, the clients that pay best too. And you just keep narrowing down the list until you have kind of you have this very small, really list in the end. And then you look at the common thread. And what's the common thread through those businesses? And it it dawned on me really, really quickly. Oh my gosh, all of these businesses are selling enterprise IT and or software, Mm. but specifically selling IT or software to large companies. It's like, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that's narrower. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot narrower. Uh, So I planted my flag. I changed my website to talk specifically to companies that, uh, that are focused on enterprise sales. And I had, you know, luckily tons of experience in that, right? And as soon as I started talking about that, things started turning around.
2: Mm.
0: And I started picking up clients again. And the conversations were, were better again. And then through that process, I was able to start seeing a, a pattern in the types of people that, were, that I was talking to you know, who was I getting on the phone with and who were the decision makers? Because especially at the large companies, there are multiple decision makers. So then I went through the exercise of looking at, okay, now I've got, now I'm good. Bills are paid. Let's look at this new client set and look at the titles. Who You know, who who's paying the bills? Who's who's making that fin- the financial decision? Who am I getting on the phone with initially? They might not be the same person. And really zeroing in on the role and how they fit into the broader organization and how, um, how they manage their team as well it was very unique. It's interesting. So it was, it was a process. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you can plainly hear, the process of defining your ideal client is just that, a process. There is no quick hit or a silver bullet here. It's not something that's going to happen overnight just because you want it to or you read a blog post. Jessica's process is very similar to the client quad framework that my coaching clients and Feast members go through. Taking a look at all of the people, projects, and companies that you've worked with and then distilling them down into common characteristics and elements is much easier to do the the pie-in-the-sky dreaming of what the potential of an ideal client looks like. If you want worksheets, exercises, and the ability to create the ideal client and the precise solution to offer that client so that you are the go-to resource and build a sustainable business, head over to feastacademy.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes and templates to not only figure out your ideal client and those services, But you'll also learn how to figure out how to price those services so that it makes a no brainer decision for that client. That's why I want to invite you to check out Feast. By using the code CONVERSATION at checkout, you could get your first month for only $20. Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off the project searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that they set out to build. Feast helps position you in the market with what you do, who you help, and helps you build the processes and systems for everything to build a sustainable business that includes sales and marketing, delivery, client management, pricing, and of course, scoping out what your ideal client is. Your business isn't the same as everyone else's, and this is the differentiator in Feast, When you become a member of Feast, you are going to get personalized guidance from myself. It is essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in the shuffle. The moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat. Yes, we will have a chat so that I can build you a custom syllabus of resources within Feast to meet you where you are. If you want to stop chasing down that next project all the time so that you can start living your life, go to feastacademy.com and use the code CONVERSATION at checkout, and your first month is only $20. It's, it's funny. I think you said his name is Matthew, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never, I haven't heard of him. And as you started describing it, it's something similar that I went through myself when I hit essentially burnout um, was very much a generalist developer doing lots of different e-commerce projects, but I was doing Ruby on Rails and Java and all sorts of different technology stacks and things of that nature. And it was my second time going full-time for myself. And I was like, maybe this thing that I've thought about since I was a teenager is not a realistic thing for me at all. Mm -hmm. and. I had just proposed to my girlfriend at the time, literally a month before I was (laughs) burnt out, didn't sleep, working 16 to 18 hour days. And I was like, uh, maybe I just need to go back and sit in a cube somewhere. Like maybe this just isn't for me. So I had a conversation with her and she kind of gave me the kick in the butt. And said, "Well, I know that that's not what you want, and so you definitely know that, and and so on and so forth." And while she's the rock, she wants the plan, she wants the like. For me, I couldn't put her and our lives together in that up and down roller coaster that I knew was going to happen, right? And so, like you were saying, like you know, things were drying up and things. And what I wound up doing was essentially an exercise that was similar to that, and what I help my coaching clients with now, I call it the client quad where I basically have them fold up a a piece of paper into quadrants and list out all the clients that you like to work with and list out all the clients that you don't like to work with and the projects and things like that and then find the common threads. And what happens is after that exercise, you have this sort of red light, green light thing where you can start to look at all of the things that you don't like, the common threads, and put that aside. When I did this, I actually had that list on my monitor so that when I was on calls, like Skype calls at the time, like this was front and center. Like if any of those things started ticking the boxes, okay, well, this is not a good fit. Uh, But on the other side, you had this sort of common thread. Like I started to see a pattern and much like you, I went, I have done that a few different times to further niche down or figure out who my ideal client is. What type of person are they? What type of role are they in the business? What type of business do they have? Like size-wise, what they stand for and so on and so forth. And so it's awesome to hear you take that same exercise and almost recycle it to further your path and such. Was this the only sort of exercise that you did or did you explore other ways to try to hone down on this on your ideal client?
0: Well, I got to say first, I love that you have a red light list as part of your process. <laughs> I think do. that is so important and and something that um, it's similar to how to what I coach copywriters, like the newer copywriters, especially every once in a while, I'll get into that position to give advice. And I, I tell them, don't ever put a project in your portfolio that you did for a client you dislike.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Because like attracts like. Mm-hmm does not matter your belief system. That is the truth. Yep. No matter how beautiful that end product turned out, if you put that in your portfolio and you hated every second of working on that project, you're going to get more clients like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not a good thing. So I love that you have that, that red light list. Um And, I, you know, I did all of the usual exercises over the years, all the different business programs tell you to go through the avatar, the client avatar process, and you know, buyer persona process. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of value to that to getting um, to getting kind of a general idea of who you're targeting. But in the end, I really feel like you have to talk to these people. It can't just be a piece of paper. It can't be a PowerPoint deck on your computer of your buyer personas, which is a lot of what I get delivered. You have to actually talk to these people to get to know who they are and what keeps them up at night beyond what's on the paper in front of you. Uh And that's really what, what I was able to do by first doing that niche exercise. And then, then once things were stable, looking at, at the organizational structure in all of these these companies that I loved, and um, you know I, I I'm very communicative. I love talking to my clients. I like to consider my clients friends at a certain point in the relationship. You know I like to check in on them, make sure they're doing good, ask how their kids are doing. And so I was I was able to get that personal with them and ask them you know really what what's going on in your organization above and beyond the content stuff that you're hiring me to do. What's going on in your organization? What's going on that's keeping you up at night and having those personal conversations, it made these, these avatars three-dimensional.
1: Absolutely. I love that. And I've seen on one of your talks, I think is titled this and I saw, definitely saw it on your website and things like that about putting the conversation before conversion. For me, when I saw that, that was a big, huge thing for me as well. Like just to reach out, have a conversation, see what it is that they like, they enjoy working with you, right? Like, how do you find more people like that? You know, see what you could be better at, right? Maybe there's just a miscommunication or there is a way in which you could solve a problem that you didn't even know that they had, those sort of things. And so having that conversation before conversion, first of all, I love the phrase, the phrase.
2: (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) I'm going to steal it, but credit you all the way through. Um, Because for me, it's like, I get asked all the time like how do I improve my sales close rates? How do I, you know, do this? How do I improve getting more clients? Stop having a conversation with me and asking me this question and go have a conversation with a lead or a client or Amen. somebody like that. Like stop talking. Stop,
0: stop. <laughs> right. put the megaphone down, <laughs>
1: yeah, stop, stop talking to me on Twitter and go ahead and pick up a conversation that, with a past client of yours or a current client or a potential lead. So you said that you, you form, you essentially form these relationships and friendships with your clients and things of that nature. Did you actually tactfully say, Hey, I want to, I'd love to have a conversation with you for about 10 minutes. Or was it more of a natural sort of just organic way that you just happened to find out all this stuff?
0: Both. Absolutely. both. there, there are certainly cases where I said, Hey, you know what? I, I just, I love working with you. I love the work we do together. Uh, this is really a direction I would love to go and more in, in my business. I would, you know, can I, pick your brand or not pick your brand. That's a terrible phrase. Don't ever use that phrase <laughs> with, uh, with anybody. <laughs> that's just like, that's demanding. No, I, you know, I'd ask them, Hey, can I get on the phone with you for, you know, for 10 minutes or so? And, and just talk and, and see kind of how you feel about this arrangement and how, you know what's working for you, what's not. And, so that works really well. I also have a survey that I send my clients after I've been working with them for a, a little while, just a really quick and easy Google form with some pointed questions about how they feel about the, the arrangement so far and what's working and what's not.
2: Hmm.
0: And I have yet to have a client refuse to fill that out.
2: Nice.
0: You know, by, by the time we get to that point, we've got a really solid relationship And they're willing to bend over backward to to help me because I've bent over backward to help them and and I bring this approach into my methodology for producing content too and I think this I think in the end this is a whole ecosystem that I've created around me so you know I approach the content writing process from a relationship building standpoint so when I talk to these clients especially when they're when they're new to me and I'm kind of telling them what my philosophy is and what my processes are my goal is to build the relationship between your company and your customers every single thing I do for you should build relationship if it's not building relationship I'm not doing my job and so that's really where I start out these these client engagements is from this relationship building standpoint. So I think that transitioning to, um, you know, now I have a relationship with the client is a very easy transition because they know that relationship building is a cornerstone of everything I do. So I, I think that's helped.
1: Yeah, it's like a sort of a. Meta thing yeah. that you have going on right <laughs> like this inception like
0: <laughs> totally yeah
2: because
1: I get a little bit of that too because what I help my clients with is more of the on-site personalization learning about the subscribers in the email list so that then we can convert people more and quicker on the front end of things um, and you know just even in and of itself <laughs> my clients have told me you did this to me didn't you I said, well, (laughs) I didn't do anything to you. It's just you sent certain signals and I was able to read that. And and this is a solution that I can provide. And so I think 100% right. It's an ecosystem. It's a way in which your, your business runs and how you serve both your business, yourself, but also your clients and their clients and their customers and things of that nature. It's awesome to hear hear somebody else talk about some of the things like, I'm like, oh, stop talking to me, go talk to your clients. And, and some of these other things that you're mentioning, for me, I'm like jumping up and down inside and all this and that. <laughs> but it, but it, it it, truly is, it's like that point at which where you were struggling and you're like, oh, okay, I'm sure much like myself, there was some self doubt there and, and maybe maybe I shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. But then it was like, okay, well, let me figure this out. Like the, there's that point at which I feel that you said, I need to reflect a little bit. Where am I good? What is my sweet spot? What can I leverage maybe in my past, but also learn about moving forward? Because you saw that kind of shift in the marketplace and things weren't working as, as the way they were. How can um, sharing a piece of advice, how can somebody key in on that? Or is it just an instinctual sort of thing that there might be a shift in the market or things aren't as what they used to be or seem to be?
0: I think there are red flags to look for. I, I think that um, almost everybody has some instinct when things are starting to not go in a good direction. And you just need to pay attention to that. I think it's easy to just keep chugging along and, and um, ignore red flags because you just got to get the work done but you ignore the red flags too long and you end up in the position that I was in where you're living on your savings. Mm. <laughs> no, that's not a good position to be in because then then you're making decisions out of desperation too. And you perpetuate the cycle of attracting bad fits. Mm.
2: And
0: so you, you really, if you can catch it earlier than I did, <laughs> you're better off. And you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Looking back, there were red flags leading up to that situation you know I, I was noticing conversations in in the, some of the online spaces that I participate in some of the Facebook groups and slack mm. groups and things like that the conversations were looking different and some of the questions I was getting asked by prospects on the phone were different and uh, again I was I was getting questioned about my price where I had never had before mm. and eventually it all culminated and it just kind of Oof, you know, everything was going bad, uh, but there, but things were happening like that up to that point that if I had paid attention, I probably could have picked up on that shift before things got that bad. And then, yeah, had, had the, the time to reflect and make better decisions before things got to that point.
1: Yeah. Same thing with me now. Um, I'm, I'm, because I experienced that burnout and depression and all that, like I'm way more acute, to those sort of symptoms, if you will, leading up to that. Cause I don't want to ever want to be there again, but it's just very similar. Like I've seen change in sales cycles and who I'm talking to and what the market is dictating and things like that. And you don't, sometimes you just overlook these things. You're just like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's just that person or that's just that project. And even if you catch it and then if you actually do some sort of a thought gathering or just jot down a few sentences after a call, well, then you can at least have something to go back and look at later on to say, hey, how come I haven't closed a lot of these deals when I had been in the past or something of that nature, right? And so uh, I think it's important to do that stuff. And obviously, business is great, right? Business is great. <laughs> so when you decided, and like you said, it still evolved, right? But how has that really impacted your business, but also your life?
0: I'm I'm working with fewer clients on a deeper level. I'm able to make a much bigger impact. So you know, in the services that I provide, there's been a big difference. Um, I've also shifted a lot. Just my day-to-day activities have changed. So I'm spending less time writing. Um, oddly enough, even though I'm a writer, I'm spending less time writing and and more time communicating really with my clients and. Everything that I produce is very research backed, so you know the research is still very much part of the process, but the research element has expanded as well. So I'm spending more time looking into you know, my clients' customers and, and spending time in those spaces. Yeah, there's just been a shift in the day to day activities. I, I spend more time on the sales calls as well. In the copywriting space, there's this, this push to kind of just make everything a very succinct process. Like, okay, 15-minute consult call, nail them down for the for the contract and the invoice. And then in the next call is a 30-minute call and you do this. And I had to really start paying attention to my own paper. <laughs> like, <laughs> keep my eyes on my own paper there in recent years because a lot of that was not serving me or my customers very well. And so I do spend more time conversing with my clients than maybe some of my colleagues do. And that can be emails that can be yeah, I try to keep it to emails and scheduled Zoom chats. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I really don't converse over Slack or text message or anything like that. I do have boundaries.
1: yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: but there's definitely a lot more conversations happening, which has the added benefit of helping me get to know my clients even better mm-hmm. and and being of so much more value to them. And just being in the position to help them more. There's more opportunities for me because I'm so much more plugged in. And there's this push, again, in my space, I don't know if you're experiencing it in your space as well, but in my space, the push towards productized services and kind of creating a machine, really, out of your business. And there's, there's a lot of value to that. There really is. But with the clients that I serve, that machine doesn't get them very far. And it, it doesn't serve them. And it's, it, it's just, it just doesn't work. It just mm. doesn't work. Um, so I've really had to, again, stop paying attention to what all of my <laughs> peers are doing and start paying attention to what my clients are telling me
1: mm.
0: and what they, what they need from me.
1: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I echo that statement, but like <laughs> from the Hilltops. <laughs> uh, so I applaud you for that. So, What's next over the next six, 12 months?
0: Well, right now I'm actually I'm building out an engagement model for the large enterprise companies that is a much bigger thing than I've ever built before. I've very much tried to stay in my lane on the <laughs> implementation side. I, I love the writing. I'm particularly good at writing uh, you know I write what I call conversion content. So I bring conversion copywriting best practices into content production. And I write very high converting content, and I love doing that. I love the writing, I love the research, I love watching the results roll in, I love being on the ground floor of that and really being the implementer for my clients. But what I, what I realized very, very recently actually is that by refusing to even look in the other lanes, I'm denying my clients something that they really desperately need, which in a lot of cases is some uh, diagnostics. They know things are not working in a particular area of their marketing. They don't know why I'm the kind of person I can go in and figure that out. And then the strategic side as well. So once we've diagnosed the problem, then making a very, very specific, very detailed plan for how to solve it. So I'm, I'm building out an engagement model for the larger companies that includes uh, the the diagnostics and the strategic pieces that again I've been I've been denying them for a very long time because I love the writing part, which interestingly there's a lot of copywriters out there who don't actually love the writing part. Mm. Be surprised to hear that, but it's very true. They they love to um, they, they love to get to know the companies and learn the products and uh, talk to the customers and do all the you know those parts of the conversion copywriting process especially, but then when it comes to the writing, it's kind of a slog. I actually really love the writing. so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I hear that with developers, too. They like the the idea of scoping the whole project, figuring out the problems, figuring out the solutions. And then when lines of code come, they're like, "Uh, how do I outsource this? Uh, That's too funny. So this has been awesome, Jessica. Where can folks reach out and say thanks?
0: the best place to find me and all my contact info and my philosophies and content and all that fun stuff is horizonpeakconsulting.com
1: awesome and we'll certainly link that up in the show notes jessica and i connected on twitter so we'll add your twitter handle as well um, into the show notes Uh, jessica thanks for sharing your some time and uh, your experience with us today
0: Hey, thank you so much this was such a fun conversation
1: and for those listening until next time it's your time to Live in the Feast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I could speak for both Jessica and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from this episode. It's really super simple. In the podcast app of your choice, presumably this one that you are using right now, Drop in a comment or a review, or go ahead and share it in a tweet and tag me, at Res, And that's with three Zs. I'll be happy to share it with Jessica. Don't forget also to hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with Kaylee Moore. Kaylee is a writer who specializes in blog content for e-commerce platform. And we'll be diving into how she's transformed her business through her ideal client until next time it's your time to live in the feast